Take your Bibles. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12 today. Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter 12 today. I want to speak to you for just a few moments today on this thought of reasonable service. Reasonable service. You'll see that in our text in just a moment. For the last three Sunday mornings, I've been introducing our theme for this year, Love, Serve, and Reach. These last three Sundays, primarily, I focused on love. And uh, from the foundation of that verse, we find it in Deuteronomy. We find it in Matthew and Mark and in Luke that we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that has been our foundation. And thus far, we have learned about love defined. We defined love from Mark chapter 12. We spoke then on love displayed out of John chapter 3. And then last Sunday on Sanctity of Life Sunday, where we recognize the importance, the value of all lives, whether unborn or at the very end of life, God values life. We, we emphasized that last, last Sunday and we had this thought of love in deed or love in action and uh, us getting uh, busy and displaying and demonstrating our love for God and through ministry. And that leads us right into this week as we're going to go to that second word in our theme of serve. Uh, we've had the thought of loving God and now we want to th- transition to serving God through His church. So read with me our text this morning, Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your, and there it is, reasonable service. I'd ask you to perhaps highlight or underline those words in your Bible or write them on a note card or at least highlight them in your mind today, reasonable service. Now before I try to prove to you this morning that there is a reasonable service, I want to be sure that we understand what God is asking for here in Romans 12, 1. To do that, I want to highlight three words or three thoughts for you. The word believer the word because, and the word bodies. You notice there that Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. Paul is writing to believers in this passage. He's writing to those that have been saved, those that are born again, those that know Christ as their Savior. This is a message to Christians, to believers, the brethren. And then he says, I beseech you, therefore, or I beg of you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He's going to give us the because now. He's going to give us why he can emphasize these things. And and it's because or by the mercies of God that, that Paul says we are to present our bodies. I'll speak of the bodies in just a moment, but let me emphasize again here because of the mercies of God we present that word present carries the idea of one that is willing to surrender or submit we might say give up now that's different than what we typically want to see in our culture isn't it we emphasize never give up whether that's in the realm of sports or work or education 
I can remember as a little boy being uh, picked on and beat up by my big brother and, and wanting me to say, give up. He would say, say uncle. And, and I don't know what that has to do with it, but that's what he was trying to get me to say. And, and I wouldn't do it. I'd lay there, I'd scream for my mom to deliver me, but I wasn't going to give up. I wasn't going to say what he wanted me to. That's the culture that we live in. Our sports teams, we never want them to give up, to fight to the very last moment, and so on and so forth. But in a spiritual sense, God does want you to give up. God wants you to surrender to him. God wants you to submit to him. In fact, the Christian life cannot be lived correctly without this surrender, without this submission, without this dependence on God. You can't live right. You can't honor him right without depending on him. Let me paint a picture in your mind. Uh, Back when we lived in Ohio, we had this dog. Her name was Darby. And in fact, we were looking at a house once on Darby Dale, and we wonder if that was a sign to not buy that house, all right? Uh, uh, Darby was probably the most loving dog you've ever, ever seen and known, and she was probably the dumbest dog you've ever seen or known. She just was a special kind of dog, all right? Uh, In fact, uh, um, she ran through our screen door one day, just ran through the, the screening part of it, chasing a squirrel. And I thought, surely she would know there's a screen there now. Darby never figured that out. It took me three times of replacing that screen to realize she's never going to get it. And we just said, hey, as long as Darby's around, we're not having a screen on our slider there. Because she would run right through it every time. And, 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 and so, but she would often try to say, hey, I, I want to be near you. I want to love you. I want you to love me. And, and she was a very submissive dog. Like she'd just come and lay down underneath me and say, look at me here. Here I am and I love you and you should love me. And just constantly laying down and showing her belly to us and wanting us to love her. One day I walked into the kitchen and my wife was in there talking to my, at that time, teenage sons. And, and I'm listening to them and I didn't like something that the boys were saying or doing. And, and, um, and so I raised my authoritative dad voice and I said, hey. Uh, and I began to maybe get on to my children a little bit, and, and I see my son standing at attention looking at their father, and my wife is standing over there listening to this, and, and, I, and I'm bringing down my, my words upon them, and, and, and then I notice my wife starts snickering over in the corner. Now, that's not unusual during my authoritative voice for my wife to snicker and, and, and laugh, but... Then I noticed my son starts snickering and trying to hold in, and that was a no-no. And I, I said, hey, what are, you, what are you guys thinking? And they're trying to hold it in, and, and my wife says, look behind you. And, and right behind me, as I'm scolding them, Darby's coming. She's laid down right behind me. I give up. I surrender. I submit. I wasn't even talking to her. That's the picture I want you to get today. God wants you to give up. God wants you to surrender. Now, I don't want everybody to come to the altar today laying on your backs, all right? But I do want us to present ourselves to God today, to submit ourselves to God and say, God, I trust you. I am going to lean on you. And then it's that word bodies. I'm going to present myself to you as a living sacrifice. 
Think about that thought there, a living sacrifice. Now, we think of a sacrifice, we think of an animal being laid out on that altar in the Old Testament, giving their life. God's not asking for that, but he is asking that he'd give you, you'd give him your living bodies. You'd present yourself to him and say, here I am. And so God is asking for that, and I'm here to tell you today, it's reasonable. It's rational. It makes sense. He's not asking for too much. He's not asking you for more than, 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 than we should think here. This is a reasonable request for God, and it is reasonable for us to say, I will serve God. Believer, you need to recognize the mercies of God. Surrender your bodies to God. Give up with your plans. Give up your ideas. Give up your thoughts and say, I'm going to trust God with his plans and his will for my life. That is God's reasonable service. Now, why is it reasonable? I'll give you three thoughts today and we'll be done. Number one, it's reasonable because of God's mercies. God's mercies. Notice with me at the end of chapter 11, the very last verse of chapter 11, the very last word of chapter 11. What is that word? Amen. Now, we, when do we typically say amen? At the end, right? Uh, at the end of the service today, uh, Pastor Tangerman or someone will pray and will say amen. There's a conclusion there. And what, what we see here is uh, Paul has ended a section of the book of Romans. In fact, Romans can divide it into two sections. Chapters 1 through 11 is a doctrinal document, a doctrinal writing. And chapters 12 through 16 is the practical application of what you've just learned or what he's just written of in chapters 1 through 11. In fact, chapters 1 through 11, I would say, are probably the greatest writings ever on salvation. Let me just summarize those 11 chapters with, for you this morning. In chapters 1 through 3, we, we learn of man's hopeless condition. We learn that man is a sinner in those first three chapters. Uh, chapter number one, Paul goes through the, the emphasis of man turning his back on God, on man uh, uh, rejecting God, and, and man embracing all of this sinful activity. He names many of those sins in chapter number one. But he goes beyond those that are of great sinners. Even in chapter number two, he speaks of the righteous sinners, those that are believers that are sinners. And he says, we're without excuse before God as well. And he summarizes it all in chapter number 3, verses you've heard before, verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. And in chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so Paul spends time reminding us of man's hopeless condition. He then speaks of man's eternal condemnation if they die in their sin. You've heard the verse, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. The, the penalty of sin, what I've earned because I'm a sinner, is death. It is separation from God. 
And if I die in my sin or you die in your sin, we are eternally separated from God in hell forever. This is an eternal condemnation. I often, when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, I'll share those first two thoughts, that we're sinners and that our sin separates us from God. And I'll close my Bible and I'll say, now, what if that's all the Bible said about us? We're sinners and if we die in our sins, we'll, we'll, we'll spend an eternity separated from God. I, would, I, I will say this, that that's not good or encouraging news. And I'm so grateful that's not all the Bible says about it. I'm grateful that Paul continues on in these great writings about salvation. And he reminds us of God's great commendation or how he commended his love toward us or how he displayed proved his love for us. And how did he do that? He gave his son, Jesus Christ, to come and live a perfect and sinless life for us and then to give his life, to sacrifice his life there on the cross of Calvary and to die on that cross and then to be buried and rise again three days later, providing salvation for us. All of that based on God's love for us. So I had a sinful condition. I was condemned to hell forever. And yet God loved me. And according to Romans chapter number 10, I must confess and call. Confess that I'm a sinner. Recognize that I'm a sinner. Recognize my lost condition. And then turn to Jesus Christ and call upon him to save you. According to Romans chapter 10, verse 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I can be saved from my sins. Now when we speak back in Romans chapter number 12 about the mercies of God, we can look at it in a general sense and be reminded every morning, according to Lamentations chapter 3, God provides his mercies for us every morning. Not getting what I deserve every day. God's mercy. We sang much of God's grace today. God's mercies are just as abundant. They're there for us every day. That's in a general sense. But in the context of Romans 12 and what we've just learned in Romans 1 through 11, the mercies of God is the salvation that he has provided for us. He's saying here, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. When you think of what God has done for you, how he's provided salvation for us, if you've received Christ as your Savior, you're one of his. He says, by those mercies, it's reasonable service that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice. One day I recognized that I was a sinner that my sins separated me from God. I did not want to die in my sins. I did not want to go to hell for eternity. And so I turned to Jesus Christ and his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and I called on the Lord to save me. I'm born again today. I belong to Jesus Christ. It is God's, it is my reasonable service that I will serve him now. It makes sense by the mercies of God. So why is it reasonable service? Because of God's mercies. Let me give you a second thought today. Why is it reasonable? Because of God's perfect will. Look at with me to verse number two. And be not conformed to this world, 
but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Not a lot of time to break this down this, this morning, but let me just try to emphasize some things here that as one of God's children, God has a, a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. We call it the will of God. God's plan in your life, God's purpose in your life, God's will in your life. And I will say this today, church, believers, Christians, I don't think the big problem is discovering God's will. It is surrendering to God's will. It's saying, I'll do what you've called me to do. I'll go where you've called me to go. I'll, I'll step up and do what you've laid on my heart. It's the perfect will of God. I look back in my life, and uh, unfortunately not every uh, stage of my life have I been obedient to the will of God. And it's always because I've thought better. I thought my plans were greater or better or what I wanted to do. And you know what I found out every time I've gone down my path, my way, my will? I found failure. I found disappointment. I have found that it didn't measure up to what I thought it would measure up to. But you know what? Every time that I've obeyed God and I've followed God and his perfect plan for my life, you know what I have found? It's greater than I ever thought it would be. It's gone beyond what I ever could have imagined that it would have taken. It's, it's done more than I've ever, but it takes surrender. It takes faith. It takes trust. And that's difficult for us, isn't it? That's difficult for us to say, God, I'm going to just trust you. When my oldest son was like three or four years old, I had this great dream of, of him standing at the stairs and just leaping into my arms and trusting his dad to catch him. And, uh, and so we started with just one stare or something like that, you know, and he would just fall into my arms and I would grab him. I'd say, I caught you, Titus, I caught you, and, and all those things. And, I, and, and, and so then I'd move this to two stairs and he'd kind of look at me as a three-year-old, uh, yeah, I don't know, but he would fall, and he'd fall into my arms. Well, then it got down to, I don't know, like 12 or 14 stairs. I don't know. I was like, come on, jump to me, Titus. And it really wasn't that far. It was only three or four stairs. It was just from here to there. Just jump to me. I'll catch you. You can trust me. And he didn't. <laughs> he looked at me and said, I'm going to go play in my room, Dad. You know, I, I don't want to jump. There. I don't think you're going to catch me. And I'm telling you today, you can trust God. God will catch you. Launch out and say, God, I want to follow you. I want to, I want to, I know you got a perfect plan and a perfect will for my life. It's going to lead me to, to places where, where, where I know it's greater than I could ever imagine. And, and here I come. Launch out and let God prove himself to you time and time again. Why is it reasonable service? Because God's got a perfect will and plan for your life. And then number three today, we've considered why is it reasonable? Because of God's mercies. Number two, because of God's perfect will. And then number three, because of God's unique gifting 
if you get down to verse number 3 of Romans 12 and read down through chapter, or verse number 8, verses 3 through 8, Paul's going to talk about spiritual gifts. I'm not going to take the time to go through those specific gifts. Perhaps we will in the weeks to come as we study this area of service and consider this. But what he's going to do, he's going to compare it to a body. He's going to compare it to the human body. You know, fingers and toes, hands and feet, arms and legs, eyes and ears. But, but we have all those members, as Paul calls it in our text, but it's one body. I'm made up of ten fingers, ten toes, two, two hands, two feet, all those different parts, but I'm one body. And what Paul is going to explain or trying to draw the picture here is the church is like that. It's a bunch of fingers and toes, hands and feet, arms and legs, uh, ears and eyes, all the different various parts, but it's one body. It's really a beautiful picture, isn't it? And how the, the fingers have a job, and the toes have a job, and the hands have a job, and the feet have a job, and when they all function together, they all do this beautiful thing that only a body can do. And in the church, in that spiritual sense, when all the fingers are doing their job and the toes are doing their jobs and feet and hands, all those things, and we're doing that, the body functions like it should. Now, when one of them are not doing the task, it affects the whole body. When I was 14 or so years old, my brother would have been, my oldest brother, he would have been, oh, I don't know, 22, 23, somewhere in that ballpark, working a job but still living at home. And um, uh, I, I would come home from school, and he was never there. He'd come home later in the day, and I came home from school one day, 13, 14 years old, and, and I walk into the living room, and my brother's laying on the couch, and... Uh, He's all covered up, and he's got his hand in a bowl down laying on the floor, and, and he's just moaning and groaning, like, oh, oh. And I, and I looked at my mom, and I was like, is he dying? Can I have his room? Uh, you, know, uh, you know, what's wrong with him? And, and he had gone to work that day, and he's a machinist, and, and he was hammering on a piece of metal, and he's hammering on that, and and it slipped off the target, hit that target, but slipped off and came down right on the tip of his thumb. Just on the very last eighth of an inch of that thumb and just smashed it. I mean, it was just crushed. He tried to stick it out of work for the next hour or so. And they're like, go home, you're driving us nuts. Because that little tip of his thumb affected the rest of his body. He was covered up. He was trying to find relief however he could. He was letting make sure everybody else knew how he was feeling. It, just that little tip of his thumb affected the rest of his body. That's the picture, church. That when we're all doing what God's called us to do and gifted us to do, he's gifted each and every one of his children in specific ways. We can look at this at a later time. But you read in those verses, verses 3 through 8, he's gifted each of his children unique gifts each of us and when we're doing what we should be doing the body functions as it should but when it's not 
the body suffers. The body has limitations. The body does not accomplish all that it can. And so why is it a reasonable service? Because God has uniquely gifted you. And when you're not doing that, it not only affects you, it affects the church. Listen, God has called us to this area of service. It's reasonable service. It's rational service. It makes sense based upon the mercies of God, the perfect will of God, the unique gifting in your life. Let me close with an illustration this morning. I read about a missionary in the late 1800s working with the Salvation Army. He was from Britain. And he took his wife. He was a medical missionary. Uh, he, he, he would use his medical skills and, and uh, was also taking the gospel to various places. And the Lord had called them to India to work in a penal camp that was also a, a, uh, a leper's camp. And so he arrived there with his wife and two young daughters. And within the first few days, he noticed some men that were chained outside and, and stocks and shackles. And, and the shackles had been on their wrists and on their ankles for so long that it was starting to wear into their skin and cause great sores. And, and he had seen this for several days. And he went to the guards and said, I want those men unloosed. And the guards said, I can't do that. He goes, it's... They're criminals. We can't trust them. And he said, I'll take full responsibility for them. I want you to unloose them. I'm going to care for these men. And so he did. He took the shackles off. And these men that were criminals and thieves and also suffering from leprosy, this doctor began to treat their wounds and on their arms and their legs and various places of their body and also show them the love of God. Oh, several weeks later, the missionary had a, a, a meeting he was to attend several hours away. And it would require him to be gone for several days. And it was about that time that the doctor started wondering, oh, I know I've been caring for these guys, but I don't know if I trust them while I'm gone. They might take advantage of my home. They might take advantage of my family. And he began to doubt whether he should go to this meeting. And his wife assured him, she like, we'll be fine. God's called us here. God will take care of us. Go to this meeting. Everything will be good. And so that morning he got up and went to the meeting. And that evening the wife was putting the children to bed and praying with them. And, and then she prayed before she went to bed, Lord, would you protect us tonight? I believe you're going to protect us. We're going to be fine. And she prayed and she slept with great peace that first night. She woke up in the morning. She went out to the kitchen and turned on her lights and, and looked out the door and she saw three men. Two of them were sleeping and one was sitting on the stairs watching. It was these three men that her husband had to, treated and delivered. And she walked out and she says, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you here so early? And the man said, oh, we've been here all night. We've taken turns. Two will sleep and one will stand guard. While your husband is gone, we are going to protect you. Why? It was reasonable. 
He'd done much for them. He delivered them from their chains. He treated their wounds. To them, it made all the sense in the world. Hey, he did that for us. We'll make sure we take care of his family while he's gone. See, I was that guy once. I was bound by the chains of this world. This world and Satan had done a, wanted to do a, a number in my life. And Jesus Christ came by one day and said, I'm going to set you free. And I'm going to treat you. And I'm going to take care of you. You know why I need to serve him today? Because it's reasonable, church. He's done so much for us. Every one of us. We should just be willing. Volunteering. Jumping up. Where can I serve you at? Because of what he's done for us. It is our, say it with me today, reasonable service. Would you bow your heads today? Primarily, I spoke to believers today. But I want you to know today, if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I want you to know God loves you. He loves you so much that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to come and live that perfect and sinless life, to die on the cross of Calvary for you, for me. To be buried, to rise again three days later, providing salvation. You have to recognize your sin. And that the only way that sin can be taken care of is through faith of what Jesus Christ did for you. You may be here today and have questions in your heart, not sure, we'd encourage you, don't leave today without getting that settled. In just a moment, we're going to have what we call an invitation. It's an inviting for you to come. And we all have folks down here at the altar that will greet you and ask you how they can help. And you say, I want to know more about salvation. I want to know more about being saved. We can get that settled today. Before you leave, speak to me. And let's, let's get that taken care of. And then for the believer, God saved you. God has done so much for you and his will for your life and his mercies and, and the way he has gifted you. Shouldn't it just be our reasonable service to serve him, to trust him? And if the Lord's tugging on your heart today, Christian, there's an altar place where you can come and surrender today or there at your pew. But we need to not leave here today without settling that in our hearts. Father, I pray that you take this invitation. Lord, you'd use it for your honor and your glory, whether there's someone here that needs to be saved or a believer that just needs to surrender to you and your plan and will for their lives. Lord, I pray that you take these few moments and use them for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, would you stand today? And as the piano begins to play, if the Lord's touched your heart, the altar's available or right there at your pew, would you be obedient to the Lord today?